Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 756 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today's guest is an endocrinologist working in Switzerland. As a matter of fact, she's the doctor of a past guest from the podcast. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Join the registry, complete the survey, help people living with type 1 diabetes while you help yourself and support the podcast. Every time somebody finishes the survey, the podcast benefits. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. If you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tips series, it begins at episode 210 in your podcast player. Your podcast player or audio app is where you should be listening to the show and subscribing. The podcast is available everywhere you get audio. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. I just got back from Touched by Type 1's in person event. It was fantastic. You can learn more about it and learn more about Touched by Type 1 at, you guessed it, touchedbytype1.org. Also, please find them on Facebook and Instagram. The podcast is also sponsored today by U.S. Med. Get your diabetes supplies from the same place that we get our diabetes supplies from, U.S. Med. You can contact U.S. Med two ways, by going to usmed.com forward slash juicebox or by calling 888-721-1514. Oh, that's right. We are not in the same time zone, are we? That's true. <laughs> I appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to talk to you. And uh, my personal thanks for the good work you are doing and contributing to the diabetes community. It's it's a great work. Oh, thank you so much. That's Lovely. I I don't usually start these with people being so kind to me. You're throwing me off my game. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm very I'm very grateful for your words. Thank you, Scott. You are a change maker. You are changing lives of people suffering from diabetes, and it's a great work. Oh, oh, that's very that's very kind of you. My name is Gurpreet Anand. Uh, I work as endocrinologist in Switzerland. Um, Originally, I came from India. I did my medicine there. And here I uh, learned internal medicine. And after I, uh, afterwards, I specialized in endocrinology. I have been working um, in this field for the last eight years. And I'm really happy uh, to be able to contribute to the lives of people, especially people with diabetes type 1, because it it is a very, very difficult disease, but a very manageable disease. The patient can really change the course of the disease if uh, the patient agrees to do that. Um, I have got two daughters and my husband. Uh, we are actually all from India. My two daughters are born here. 
Um, as a child, I always wanted to be a doctor uh, because I my mother she was a nursing sister and she worked in a hospital and i saw the white coat and i was amazed by the white white coat and i wanted to wear this white coat that's why i became doctor and uh, i have never regretted this choice wow. i love to be a doctor how old are you i am now 48 years old 48 okay and i'm sorry you said you live in switzerland yes yeah okay for the last 20 years oh wow well that's great um, so I have to ask first, I guess, how you find the podcast. I find the podcast great. I was introduced to your podcast, uh, through my patient because I wanted to know how, uh, what were the things which influenced life of my patient. And she introduced me to your podcast. And then, then I started listening to your podcast and I was deeply impressed and I recommended this podcast to some of my patients as well and even they appreciate the podcast a lot that's excellent I, I have to I'm trying to remember if I'm going to be able to mention who your patient was um, I think it's it's better for you if we don't say who it is is that right Yes, okay. but I think we both know it. Yeah, well, I know who you, I definitely know who it is, and um, yeah, any astute listener of the show might figure it out, I guess. But um, yes, but but that's really wonderful. So she came to you, and or, or I guess how does it how does it happen? It, are her outcomes so uncommon for you that it actually made you ask, "How are you doing this?" Or how did the conversation begin? So actually, I ask this question to each and every patient who comes to me for the first time. Uh, what is their experience with the disease? Uh, what are their goals uh, to achieve with the disease? And that's why I came to know her and I came to know what deeply influenced this person to uh, better manage her diabetes. And then she mentioned your podcast. I see. Did it... Um... Was it surprising to you if she, when she said it's from a podcast? Uh, not in a sense, because I'm always uh, myself very impressed uh, with the podcast industry, not only in diabetes world, but also otherwise, because technology has made a lot of advancement and uh, Basically, everyone can get information from everywhere. If the information is useful, mm -hmm. this is something uh, which we should appreciate and support. And um, uh, I was impressed after I listened to the podcast because I really didn't believe her for the first time because I wanted to know what is so good about the podcast. And as I listened to it, I was totally convinced that's true. No, oh, that's lovely. Do I... Um... Uh, what's the question? I guess maybe to you, it's not so different, but it, was it odd to you that I don't have diabetes? Uh, actually, you are a person who doesn't have diabetes, but has a real contact with someone close with diabetes and who could really, with his own interest, learn so much about diabetes which even patients without uh, with diabetes don't manage to have it in in such uh, an appreciable amount of time i think that i've always thought i guess that the mixture of my desire to help arden 
and yeah. my love and concern for her mixed with the, I mean, the benefit of me not actually having diabetes, right? Like, so you get to kind of figure things out without going through them directly. You know, it, it's, um, it's easier to philosophize about how to manage a low blood sugar when your blood sugar is not low. Um, yeah. I, it, it, I can see, I mean, obviously through the years and the conversations, how difficult it must be for people to not understand how their type one works, not understand how their insulin works, be caught in the situation and then be expected on top of all that to figure out the situation. It's just, it, it's a almost an insurmountable task. Yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. Uh, I think the problem is uh, in, in case of type one di diabetes, that there is a person with diabetes to be managed and there is diabetes to be managed. These are two different things, and it is very difficult to separate one from the other. Yeah. How, how frequently are people's personalities a, a speed bump for them having success? I mean, what do I mean? Uh, are there just some people who, through the sheer fact that they don't want diabetes or they have, you know, some sort of... Um, I don't know if you would call it PTSD, but they're still shocked from their diagnosis or angry. Does does that stuff weigh in very heavily when you're helping people? Actually, in my experience, this is the main factor influencing outcome of diabetes. Because as you know, we have technology, we have sensors, we have insulin pens, we have insulin pumps, we have hybrid closed loop systems. We have everything which can manage diabetes. But if the patient who has to really get to know this technology and invest some time is not ready, nothing works. It is the patient is for me the main factor affecting outcome of diabetes. And diabetes denial is so common in the beginning at least that it really it's the greatest barrier people used to call hypoglycemia as the greatest barrier but i would say acceptance of the disease which is potentially manageable is the greatest barrier and not accepting it there's real no clear there's no clear path to success if you're fighting against yes. it the entire time yeah it's going to win right it's just it's got more stamina than you do. You know, diabetes doesn't yeah. need to sleep and uh, it can come after you when you're sleeping or, you know, in the middle of things. I'll tell you right now, like right, right now, as we're speaking, Arden is on a class trip. So mm -hmm. she left. It, it didn't start well and you knew it wasn't going to start well. She had to be at her school at 1.30 a.m. And then they sat them there for an hour, put them on a bus bust them to an airport, sat them in the airport. And, you know, by 6.15 in the morning, she's climbing on a plane for a three-hour flight. Now, she hasn't been asleep probably for close to 24 hours at the time that the plane takes off. And, you know, we had had just multiple conversations. I'm like, Arden, you're probably going to get low on the plane when you close your eyes after all this. And, you know, sure enough, she did. Her CGM woke her up. Uh, she was able to handle it fine. There was no Wi-Fi on the plane. So quite literally, no one knew that this was happening but her, uh, you know, and her seatmate, who is a, a, a longtime friend. 
Um, she managed it fine. She got out of the airport fine, back on another bus. And then they dropped the kids in the middle of, of Disney. I think Disney World, right? That's Florida. Disney World. It's 60, you know, between 50 and 60 degrees warmer in Disney than it was when she left New Jersey. And she's not allowed to go into her room for hours. And they just start marching around this park in the heat. And we did a good job. Like, it wasn't too bad. We kept her blood sugars together. They weren't anything like what they usually look like here. But by the end of the evening, she tried to eat something. She bolused for it. And, you know, then the next five hours, 10 p.m., 11, 12, 1, 2 in the morning, we were just holding on with our, you know, with our fingernails, trying to keep her blood sugar above about 65 and finally, at about one one thirty in the morning, it just it just kept dipping down, and we couldn't stop it. And this is with an algorithm, like taking her basal away and trying. Um, we got her stable; she slept fine overnight. And now this morning, with just a few hours rest, everything is much more stable. And I'm learning because this is a new situation for me. I honestly think that her lack of sleep was the biggest problem. In, in this whole thing. Um, because now that she's rested, we haven't changed anything. She's back out in the heat and things are going very well again. Um, I, I just, I'm surprised every day at how this thing can throw monkey wrenches into the system because I'm about as good at this as somebody can be. And we were not good at it yesterday for about six or seven hours. Um, but it is really testing my knowledge today. Um, it's, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know how she would have gone and done this without this technology or someone helping her. I mean, without this stuff, she would have been, I would say, scary or dangerously low two or three times already in the last 24 hours. You know, I'm always saying, go to touchedbytype1.org, but do you go? You should, because under the Programs tab, you could click on something, for instance, like Upcoming Events, where you would see that in September, the Fall Dance Program has started, and it's Ladies' Night. If you're in the Orlando area, maybe you'll want to hang out with some other people who have children with type 1 diabetes or diabetes themselves. Go check out Ladies' Night. In October, there's a family Halloween party. The fall dance program continues through the fall, right up to the Dancing for Diabetes Showcase, and so much more. Touched by Type1.org. I'm not making this up. A moment ago, I had to stop recording to answer the phone. Do you know who it was? <laughs> it was US Med. Swear on a stack of whatever you swear on, okay? US Med, little phone call. It was like ring, ring. I figured exactly what they said. I picked it up. It was an automated call. It told me that Arden had a prescription that was ready to ship. It asked me to press one, and I think if I want to ship it now, press two if I'd like to have it shipped in two weeks, or press three if I'd like to speak with a pharmacist. And I wanted to speak with a pharmacist. So I pressed three. Just like that, we're on our way. You can get that kind of service as well from US Med. And you can do it without your voice cracking like mine just did. All you have to do is go to usmed.com forward slash juice box to get started, or you can call 888-721-1514. 
So if you'd like to get your diabetes supplies the way we do around here, try US Med. US Med accepts Medicare nationwide and over 800 private insurers. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and they carry everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies to the latest CGMs like the Freestyle Libre 2 and the Dexcom G6. US Med always provides 90 days worth of supplies and fast and free shipping. They've served over 1 million people with diabetes since 1996, and all they want is for you to get better service and better care than you're accustomed to getting now. USMed.com forward slash juice box or call 888-721-1514. Links to US Med Touched by Type 1 and all the sponsors are in the show notes of the podcast player you're listening in now, and they're also available at juiceboxpodcast.com. Scott, uh, thanks for sharing uh, that with me, because I think this is a perfect example of technology working at its best, person who know the technology working at their best, but still blood sugar has some inherent variability. Insulin application has some inherent variability, and we have to learn to accept that, that there are going to be situations where we do our 100% right, and the result is still not what we want. Mm. And we have to be really fluid, flexible, as you always tell, just flow with the flow of diabetes, because you cannot manage it perfectly well in all the situations. There are situations which are going to surprise you time and time again. And this, we can imagine how difficult it could be for people who don't even know what they can do, yeah. I would, what they can change. I would like people to know, and I, I told the story so that I could follow up with this, is that when she was drinking the juice overnight, the, um, the school had hired a nurse. So there's a nurse living on the floor, you know, of the hotel. And that nurse is she's lovely. She's following Arden's CGM. And, um, I had called Arden to wake her up. The nurse would have not known at that time that I was awake watching Arden's blood sugar. And I called Arden, woke her up, had her drinking juice. And at the same time, I heard the nurse come into the hotel room and she was speaking to her. And she's like, are you talking to your dad on the phone? And it was happening at that exchange right there. I want to be honest. That, that is the closest I came to crying in quite some time around diabetes, just that it was the middle of the night and Arden was trying to be on this class trip. And instead, you know, there's a, a stranger standing in her hotel room seeing if she's okay. Um, I almost cried. I just listening to the exchange over my phone. And instead I reminded myself that without this technology, th this would have been much worse that I knew what to do. And she knew what to do. Arden has been doing a terrific job while she was gone. And in the end, she has type one diabetes and that is the factor I can't impact. Like that's always going to exist. I can't, I can't sit there and be sad about something that I want that, that doesn't exist, you, you know? So I, I decided to deal in the reality of what was, and I pushed on my eyes and wiped the tears away and got her back on the phone and told her, you know, I was going to watch to make sure her blood sugar came back up before I went to sleep and she should go ahead and go back to sleep. And her blood sugar came back up and leveled off and, and we were good. But um, yeah, she's had diabetes since she was two. 
I don't really remember the last time it made me sad, but but last night came pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can really only share my feelings because I personally have no experience with someone close having type 1 diabetes. Mm-hmm. I have patients. That's true, but uh, I never experienced hypoglycemia on my own. I experienced with my patients. Yes, but it is entirely diff- different experience if you have this experience in person uh, it can be a close patient it can be your relative and it is absolutely a different reality because uh, once you experience hypoglycemia every patient processes hypoglycemia in his or her own different way some people they don't want to have another episode of hypoglycemia and that's why they keep their blood sugar levels high mm-hmm. so that they don't fall that is one barrier to better management of diabetes the second barrier is once they even see the blood sugar level is just sinking they overcorrect because uh, they don't want blood sugar to fall these are so many difficult issues which patients face that it really sometimes uh, uh, it pa- is very difficult paralyzing. to convince the patients to do the right thing. Right. It's paralyzing. It stops you. Um, yes. I, I'll tell you the, the most proud I've been in quite some time is this morning when I woke up and saw that Arden had had breakfast. She bolused for 50 carbs and texted me later and said, I, uh, she said, I got a bagel and ate some mixed fruit. Um, my blood sugar was, I forget what it was, like 136 when I woke up. And um, she's like, it's going down now. I don't know if this is going to go right. And I looked at it and I said, this looks great to me. I said, we've, um, we dialed back her settings about 20% for the day for her to be out in the heat walking around. So uh, because she's on an algorithm, basically everything's dialed back 20%. Her basal correction factors, um, carb ratios everything's just kind of dialed back right now and i said i'm looking at the graph it looks very much like it's going to level out to me i think you did a great job and now this is a number of hours ago she's um she's been very stable about at 115 about between 112 and 116 for the last two and a half hours but she did not act scared like she got up in the morning and she did what she knew was right again and just went right back to it. She was a little nervous, but I think the nervousness was it's because she's alone and she's still about to go out and live a day that is not normal for her trudging around the heat, you know, for however long they're going to be doing this. Um, But I was proud of her that she just, she didn't blink. She did it again and, um, and did a good job. So I think it's there, you know, I I don't think there's any shame in leaving her blood sugar a little higher for today. Um, Yes. And I know that some people might hear that and think, you know, that's ridiculous. I'm saying like 112 is a little higher, but for her, it is, it's, it's probably 20 points higher, um, you know, which is a pretty big deal for, you know, long-term, but for the next couple of days is meaningless. So, um, anyway, I, I was proud of her that she, she got back out there and tried it again. Like she, she doesn't give up. Um, and she's knows what it's like to be low and, um, you know, so far so good. Nothing's happened that scared her too much. But I've also spoken to adults that have had such scary, um, like you said, you know, such scary um, situations where they were alone that they just have a hard time yeah. trying again. 
How is it for you to, well, I guess my first question should be, is, do you treat all of your patients with the same information or do you tailor, tailor it to what you believe they can manage and accept? Uh, this is a great question. I think it is impossible to treat all type one patients alike because every type one patient brings a completely different kind of resources to the consultation. And I have to accept and respect their values because everyone is going to reach the goal which he or her self establishes the goal because the diabetes management is management through the patient himself. I am just a coach. I'm just an advisor who can help give basic understanding about diabetes, but the management is left to the patient himself mm -hmm. because he has to deal with the diabetes 24-7 and I have to deal with the diabetes every three months and it's entirely different situation. Yeah. So do you give them like a high level overview and hope that they pick out the details or do you, do you literally look like, and is that a weird thing to have to do to judge somebody? Because you are quietly judging their ability, right? So that you can make, um, a, I don't mean judging in a bad way. Uh, I mean it like you have to assess them and decide yeah. what they can handle. Is that right? That's right. So it is different in every scenario. For example, let's take the example of someone who has new diagnosis of type 1 diabetes and comes to my um, consultation for the first time. The, the first um, reflex from me is to just get to know this person, how this person is coping with the new diagnosis. It is mostly a shock for everyone who has the diagnosis. So it is okay to talk about this shock openly with the patient. Tell them uh, that it is a shock for most of the patients. So it is normal. Just normalize the shock situation because it is normal for each and everyone who is going to have diabetes, especially type 1 diabetes. And then Tell them that it is a slow process to get to know the disease, to get to know how to manage the disease, but it is going to get better each and every day. We mostly uh, treat the type 1 diabetes patient on ambulatory basis. Uh, earlier, patients uh, used to get hospitalized, but nowadays it is so much um, ambulatory management, uh, they have to come to the diabetes nurses, they have to come quite regularly in the beginning so that they know how they manage hyperglycemia, how they manage uh, hypoglycemia. This is kind of repeated education on uh, on a daily basis in the beginning, and afterwards we can uh, change the frequency and uh, see the patients every month, afterwards every three months, but it is a process. They have to uh, go through the process and I try to give them the analogy of um, uh, driving a car. It is very overwhelming in the beginning because you have to understand that uh, you don't uh, uh, speed up the car, you know how to put on the brakes. These are the things they have to learn in the diabetes as well. Sometimes they have to come off the mark, but there is also a learning 
and uh, they learn how to apply brakes slowly. They learn how to uh, push the gas pedal uh, fast. They learn and it gets better, but it needs time. I understand why you like the podcast. You and I think a lot alike about these things, don't we? Have you noticed I can that? also really uh, say yes to that because I think we as human beings, um, we want to live life normally. And if we can bring the understanding of diabetes, same as how we live our lives, we can get the patients to understand better what what they expect from the disease, what they expect from themselves. But what I mostly end on a positive note is that everything you do has consequence. If you decide to treat the disease, it, it is your choice. If you don't decide to treat the disease, it is also a choice. You cannot not decide. You have to decide something and you are going to see some results. Mm. It's not happening to you as much as you're deciding which path to take once it becomes clear yes. that this is your story and you have to go live it. Yes. Yeah. Hey, I, this is kind of an odd question, but do you ever walk into a room and just not recognize a patient? Like, I'm trying to think of how hard is it to keep everybody's story straight in your head? I realize you take notes and you have charts, but do you ever just walk in and think like, I do not remember her and then have to look down and because it, you know what I mean? You're in a really interesting relationship because um, you see a lot of people they see one doctor. So in their minds, you've probably been thinking about them for the last 90 days and you're just waiting to see them again and help them. Like that's the attitude you come into a doctor's appointment with. Like you have questions, you've learned things, you have you know uh, new ideas to try. And then you look up and this person who hasn't seen you in three months is standing in front of you. I was wondering how difficult that is as a physician. My personal uh, take is definitely I don't remember all the stories in my head. That's why I take notes. But I try to remember something in their personality and try to link that something in their personality with their story so that I just have some basic cues because each and every human being likes to be acknowledged as a person. Right. Without judging them, just just like something, uh, if someone is a good tennis player, I try to uh, discuss with them their hobbies as well, because so that uh, they just have the feeling it is not always the disease; mm -hmm. it is the person who has the disease, which is in in main point. Because if the person is addressed, the disease gets addressed on its own, because. Basically, if managing the disease is so important to this person, this person is going to manage the disease very well. And I have to address to this person who is coming to me. Yeah. You know, I tell people what I, I have spoken to a number of people privately in my life. Um, I mean, as a matter of fact, I think part of what got me ready to make this podcast is that I used to be a person who um, others would direct people to they'd say oh you ought to talk to this guy like maybe he'll call you and talk to you like he talked to me and so there probably have been hundreds of personal phone calls that would have made great podcast episodes um you know trying to talk people through new ideas and and get their their minds kind of straight 
And what I've noticed more often than not is that the desire to do well is maybe one of the most important parts of this. Um, and I guess you could like call that attitude or, you know, frame of mind or whatever. But if you, if you want this to go well and you have successfully searched down good information and tools and an understanding of how to use them, usually things do go well, you, you know, and, and the level of what well means, you know, you've pointed out very clearly is up to the person. Um, and I tell people all the time when they're talking about like, how, how do I set my basil? I, I've learned to say you, basil's job is to hold your blood sugar stable at a number you want it at. Um, you know, because the number I want it to sit stable at might be different than yours for a number of reasons. Um, but I, I just think that I can't put my finger on it, you know, exactly. I don't think I can articulate it perfectly. But the people who want it to go well, I know this doesn't sound completely clear, but oftentimes they get what they expect. Um, and, and I find that to be uh, repetitively proven out. Um, people who have their heads down or they seem over too overwhelmed at the time, you know, might be a way to say it might be they're not ready for the information. Um, it's just it overwhelms them too much. But there's something about that energy that, like, I'm going to do this. Um, it's important. Y you know, I, I guess the in AA, they call it fake it till you make it, right? But um, I think it's important. I think that that attitude is, um, it, it's one of the tools. You are absolutely right. Uh, I can tell you an example from a patient uh, who came to me uh, he had a bipolar disorder and he got the second diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. So it was very, very hard because he was already finding it very difficult to manage the bipolar disorder. So the diabetes was on top of it. Um, he was also the patient I had to uh, take in. Um, I had to admit the patient just to let him know the basics of treating diabetes first. and. Um, it was very difficult, but I talked to him. I told him in the beginning, it is difficult, but it gets easier when you see you can establish a routine. Mm -hmm. And it starts with the, it looks like a lot, but if we break all the pieces down to very basic information, it gets easier and easier. And luckily, this patient has gone into the honeymoon phase and uh, he's still in the honeymoon phase and he needs very little amount of insulin and is so stable. What my motivation is with the new diagnosis of type 1 diabetes, because I have seen that in so many people nowadays that I stress the need of starting insulin as soon as possible to just make a few beta cells which produce insulin in pancreas to just give them the chance to survive the insult. Because in the end, we don't know what kind of insult happens in a patient with type 1 diabetes. How early are we? Can we save some beta cells? And if we can save some beta cells, this is like um, a big, big advantage for type 1 diabetes patients because these patients are going to have 
much better uh, time managing their disease if they start early. And mostly people see that it works very well. My second motivation is even though they are in a shock situation by the new diagnosis, I tell them their body is going to give them much better fitness signals as soon as the blood sugar values are not in 20s. So we use the units 20 millimoles uh, per liter. And it is in the range of four to seven. Mm -hmm. They are going to see a difference. And that's so true. It is very important to tell type 1 patients in the beginning, not about complications, but about the quality of life, because that is something they can relate to it in the immediate period if they really put efforts to it. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if people's lives have gone so unlike that they've hoped that they don't imagine that this is possible. Do, do you know what I mean? Like hope is um, hope is something that's sometimes built from hope. So if your life has gone, you know, about the way you've hoped or the way you've expected, and then you run into this diagnosis, I bet you it's easier to believe that this can work out well for you as, as you know, too. But if everything has just gone wrong over and over and over again, and then on top of this, you have, I mean, think about it, bipolar disorder and then type one diabetes. I mean, I wonder where you mine that hope from, you know, and that's where it's obvious it has to come from the physician or the support yeah. or the support system because they, they don't have it to use. Somebody has to give it to them. Um, yeah. that sounds incredibly, um, thoughtful. Um, have you, I've had at least three or four people on the show who have bipolar and type one, um, autoimmune, uh, inflammation, these things, uh, it's a real, it's a real scourge on humanity. The, you know, the idea that we have not found a way yet to, um, to stop that autoimmune response is, um, I mean, it, it would just be one of the greatest things to happen to people. There's part of me that's very hopeful that, um, I, I sounds crazy maybe, but that COVID has shined a light on the need for, um, research uh, and I think yeah. I think maybe now that COVID is is omnipresent, I really really think that we might get some more answers about how um, inflammation works and how to stop it over the next handful of years. But it's just it's terrible. I mean, to have one or two, I mean, to feel like your body's attacking you on multiple fronts is um, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what? This is the fun part when I talk to a doctor. What do I do that you think is right? And do you do I ever say things that you're like, oh, God, don't say that? Uh, do you mean as a patient? I mean, as a, as a podcaster, when you're listening to this podcast, do you ever think like he shouldn't be saying that? Or do you generally speaking agree? How, 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 what's your experience like as a listener, I guess? I must say I generally agree because because you resonate with the people having this difficult disease. And I have the feeling uh, all your advice comes from a different level of experience because you 
talk openly about your experience with Arden. And what I particularly like are your podcasts with Jenny Smith mm. because she brings some input from her experience as well into the podcast. And I literally love your podcast. Wow. Thank you. I was, I, I didn't know. I honestly didn't know what you were going to say, but I, I mean, I would have been interesting if I was, if you were like, Oh, never say this again. Uh, but <clears throat> the way, so the way I sort of see it, it it's, um, you have to understand, you, you mentioned earlier that the medium is valuable. Like you have to understand that a hundred years ago, if I had information that I thought I was going to share with people, maybe the best I could do is to write it down somewhere and hope they saw it or stand in the middle of town on top of a, you know, a crate and yell out to them. Um, this, this is, um, this is the best way we have to communicate right now on stuff like this. And, but I shouldn't have said, end. I should say, but, but there are constantly new people coming into it. So you have to create this entity that has the information, but is entertaining enough to hold people as listeners. And the reason that's important is because if the podcast doesn't exist as a popular entity, then when new people need the information, it won't be here for them. So, um, so the stuff with Jenny, the management stuff, or when we talk specifically about management stuff, there's an argument to be made that you could just make those episodes and you wouldn't need the interviews with other people. Although I do think community is a, a huge portion of managing type one. But um, the problem is, is that if it was just this static information, people wouldn't find their way to it. So you have to create this kind of living entertainment that brings people in so that once they're here, they can go find the guy in the corner who's standing on the the wood box yelling with Jenny about pre-bolusing, and <laughs> and um, it's a it's a delicate balance. It, it it really is. Um, I think that's where we go wrong a lot of times helping people with diabetes. Is that the, we say things like, "Oh, that's on a website," or you know, uh, "Here's a pamphlet." People aren't attracted to stuff like that. And they're already in a bad situation, and now you're telling them, go read a pamphlet, go read a book. Um, I don't want to read a book. I, I just found out my kid has diabetes. I just found out I have diabetes. I want I want this to work. I, 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 I want to be saved. I don't want to feel like I'm getting – my blood sugar is going low every four hours. I don't want to be scared to go to bed. I don't want to be scared to put food in my mouth. Uh, um, and that, that turmoil is happening for them 24-7. You need to be able to come in and just – give them enough that they can make a meaningful step forward so that they can believe that there are other steps forward to take. And then you just sort of keep layering the information over top of them and they, and then they absorb it as they can, because then that's the next problem for me is that everyone who's listening isn't in the same place. So I can only put out one set of episodes and they somehow need to capture the imagination, uh, invigorate the hope of, and hold the attention so that people can spend enough time inside of it to get out of it what they need. Um, it's, a, it's a unique platform that allows for all that to happen. I'm, I'm very grateful for it because I used to write about this stuff and it's not as effective. Um, Scott, um, do you know why is it effective? Well, I can start off by joking and saying I'm delightful, and that's why. 
No, no. Well, I... that's, that's absolutely right. But I give you another reason uh, out of my perspective. We as humans have not changed a lot over 200 years. We used to value word of mouth. We still value word of mouth. Hmm. We used to value something valuable for us. We still value something valuable for us. If someone, some patient with type 1 diabetes finds value in your podcast, no one is going to prevent him from listening to your podcast. Mm. That is the main important message. You want to be of value and you enjoy doing it and you bring your authenticity to it. And that's why your podcast is so valuable. Oh, that's very nice. I, um, I do really, I really do enjoy making it. Um, I am genuinely fascinated when I talk to people. Um, I don't think I've ever had a conversation on here where I've like gotten off and thought, well, what a waste of time. You know, like I just to get to know somebody or to hear their specific story um, for people to get their to get their to be able to get their thoughts out. You know, there's someone else listening who thinks something similar and there's just such a there's such a comfort in hearing someone else say something that you're thinking, you, you know, um, and to. And to be able to give that to people who are in such turmoil at some point, I think it's a gift, really. I um, I never, you know, as a as a kid growing up or even as an adult, you know, I think we all think the same way, right? We're trying to sustain ourselves. I'm trying to make money. I'm trying to buy food. I'm trying to put a roof over my head and help my children. And, you know, there are times when you come to the conclusion, like, I'm going to have to take a job because it pays me. To expect that your job would actually help somebody would be a huge win. If you had a job that you didn't like that helped somebody, it would be a huge win. But to have a job that you like that helps somebody and puts a roof over your head, I I, I couldn't possibly feel more lucky about that. Um, and that's why I work so hard to keep it going because I, A, see what it does for people. But honestly, it's the best situation I've ever been in. You, you know, I don't I don't want this to stop. And the only way I get to keep it going is if it continues to innovate and help people and find ways to new, newer people and find ways to, to keep older listeners, um, entertained and, and with value. Like, I, I don't want to just come on here and say stupid shit. You know what I mean? Like just to, for people to come on, like, I want you to leave this hour feeling, um, heard and seen. I want you to feel like you learn something that's going to be valuable to you. And I, I want you to feel like it wasn't a drudgery to get to that information. Um, I don't know. I love this. I, I guess you're right. I guess if it was a couple of hundred years ago, um, I, I think I would probably be doing some form of this, you know, talking to people. I really do enjoy it. <clears throat> you would have been surrounded by a group of people like a campfire. <laughs> all type one patients just surrounding you and asking you for your advice. I can really imagine that scene. Well, that would be nice. And you do it beautifully. Well, thank you. It would be nice because I could stand up while I'm doing it because I, I'll tell you the one downside of this job is I am sitting too much. So okay. uh, 
I do need to get up and move around a little bit. Um, yeah, that's that's important for your health. Yeah, you guys are going to kill me making this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I if I ever if I go over while I'm making it, I'll I'll teach someone in the house how to put the episode up so people can still hear it. Uh, but but no, but seriously, it's um it, it's a joy. But it really is a joy to do. Um, yeah, and and you have to be a little single minded about it too. Um, I I record this show. I mean, at least four times a week. There are times when I do it twice a day. Um, my schedule is, I mean, you and I are talking in February. If you wanted to be on the show right now, I think you'd have to book in November. Yeah. So it's, um, and that's, that's the part of it that doesn't get spoken about enough. It's the yes. people's willingness to come on and share or ask questions. It's the only way other people are going to get the content. Um, you know, if there's no one for me to talk to, this ends pretty quickly. You know, you eventually you'd get tired of me talking to Jenny <laughs> um, or talking to myself. I think as long as you are offering your hard work, you are offering your interest, you are never tired of talking about diabetes. Uh, we can feel it in your podcast. Uh, that is so important because the way you do it, you bring freshness to the podcast. You bring value for your audience. And that is all which matters in the end. In the end, it is the value added to your audience so that they really find it worth listening to your podcast. Yeah. And that is the, the biggest multiplier you have. If your audience finds value, it's going to attract even more audience. And that is why your podcast is going to keep on living. And I would really wish your podcast to keep on living because it is helping community of diabetes type 1 patients. I, I have to tell you that, you know, there is an avalanche of notes and letters. And even on the Facebook page at this point, I think that's how most people try to contact me at this point. There's an overwhelming number of people who are, who are a little farther down the road now and they come back to tell their story about, oh, I found the show six months ago and like, look where I am now. And they're sharing their, you know, their successes. And I think that's great. I think that um, other people need to see, they need to see someone that's a little ahead of them on the path, having success, telling them, I used to be back there with you, but I, I really think you could be up here with me. Um, and and the truth is about the the value. So so sort of a, a a weird businessy side of it is that if people didn't listen, I couldn't make the show. And so it's their support that creates the value. And and one specific example is like we're doing a series right now about thyroid disorder. Right on Fridays, Jenny and I are like putting out these short episodes explaining hyper and hypothyroidism, Graves disease to people, which is something that is incredibly common in a, in a type one, um, you know, diagnosis and people don't have the information about it. And oftentimes doctors are not particularly good at managing it either. Um, but it's not, it's not a, um, it's not at the top of people's minds. So my ability to dig down and do smaller topics is because I know the listeners will support it. So, you know, all of the all of the kindness aside about how the podcast helps people and and how much I enjoy doing it and all of that, 
there, there's still that component of it that if it doesn't get downloads, then advertisers go away. And when advertisers go away, my wife is going to ask me to make money a different way. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the podcast disappears. So it's people's support of the podcast, their willingness to listen to topics that maybe maybe they wouldn't believe is important to them. But I think they find the podcast valuable enough that if I put something out, they think, well, if he's telling us about this, maybe I should listen. And, um, you know, when we're done with thyroid, we're going to do celiac. And, you know, we're going to continue to pick through things like that that are, that are going to come up in a lot of people's lives and they, and they should know how to look for it and, and how to manage it if it should happen. But again, that doesn't exist without the support of the people listening. You know, if, if they don't, if they don't download the show and listen to it, then I can't keep making it. Um, so it's really as much about their effort as it is about mine, as far as the longevity goes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't know whether we are ever going to come to this. My main reason for coming to this podcast was to tell community of type 1 diabetes patients one thing. And that one thing is their management of type 1 diabetes and their management of their own life is going to be totally aligned. If they are having a good life, they are going to manage their diabetes well. There is no question about it. If they are having difficulties in their lives, it is almost impossible to get their diabetes well managed because diabetes and life go goes hand in hand. And that is very important for type 1 diabetes patients to know. Mm. That means if their life is not going well, they can intentionally put some efforts to manage their diabetes well because it is going to have repercussions in their lives. The same goes other way around. If they are managing their life well, they are going to get the motivation to treat their diabetes well as well. And it is very important. That's why to have good routines. That means if they know how to manage situations with hyperglycemia, if they know how to manage situations with hypoglycemia and they keep on doing it, they are going to do it almost the same way in difficult situations. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't happen if the life gets difficult and they start then to manage diabetes well, it doesn't go this way. Because in periods of difficulties, we as human beings are at our worst. Only when we we are feeling good, we are feeling happy, we find life worthy living, we are at our best. Mm -hmm. So that's why there is another reason for type 1 diabetes patients to just gather enough courage at the maximum diagnosis of diabetes to invest some time and efforts to get to know the disease so well so that they can manage it well. Because ultimately, they are the manager of their diabetes. And they can do it. With today's technology, we have so much support. So many things get managed very, very well. Right. 
Are you also talking about a personal happiness and contentment, calm, things like that? Are you talking about just a general um, ease in their life, uh, staying away from people who are difficult to on their psyche, um, jobs that make them upset? Like how, how far are you talking about this, about having life in a good place so that the management can be easier? Um, it is actually on a very, very broad face. That means if they, each and everyone among us wants to have some control in our lives on this disease. Mm. And if we have this feeling of control, a feeling that we can manage the situation, it is a very different feeling of contentment. And it goes so much for life. If if I can tell, I can choose my profession, I can choose my lifestyle, I can choose and manage everything the way I want, that is contentment. Mm-hmm. It is true for diabetes as it is true for life. So just imagine if you have to do a job which you don't like to do, that is almost guaranteed discontentment for your whole life. But when, you, when you're given diabetes, almost like a job that you don't want to do, then the key after that is to find a way to do it in the easiest, most comfortable way for you. So you're not fighting against it constantly. There again, I try to give an example to my patients. I tell them, look, this is not a disease which any human being is going to choose. It just comes. And when it is there, there is a choice to be made to manage it well or let the disease manage itself. And it is far better to manage the disease yourself because then you can have phases where you can decide, okay, now I'm not feeling very good in my life. Now I'm deciding to just ignore the management of diabetes, but you have the control. You have already managed it well. It would be very difficult then for you to manage it badly. Yeah. And then from there, then that's when you need to know, like, what's next? Like, when you've made the decision, like, I'm going to do this well, like, I'm going to put in the effort, and I'm, I want these results. The, the truth is that you could put in a lot of effort in the wrong way, and it just ends up being frustrating. I think that's why, I'm, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this here, but I think that's why those pro tip episodes with Jenny and yes. I are so important, because you have to know how to la- lay down that foundation. Like, okay, I've decided... I'm going to build a new house for myself now. What's the foundation look like? How do I get the walls up? How do I get the roof on? How do I do this in the right order? You know, how do I stop myself from, you know, trying to, I don't know, you know, nail in a screw and I need a screwdriver. Like you have to understand the tools for the job, how to build that foundation. And then once you do that, everything you're talking about becomes much, much easier. Um, Yes. It's so I guess cliched to say, but you want to put the work in up front so that you can enjoy it afterwards. Um, you know, it, it's hard to build a house. It's harder to live 20 years in a refrigerator box. So 
you know, yeah. s- spend three months in the beginning getting a roof over your head. And then that kind of um, happiness and, and ease that you're looking for is, is so much easier to uh, find and maintain. Um, it's it just it, you got to put the work in. I'm always a little saddened when people reach out to me and say, look, I hear everybody saying this podcast is helpful, but I don't have time. And I always answer them like very honestly. I'm like, honestly, I think you you don't have time not to. Like you have to give time to this. Yes. You, you know, do a little work now, and uh, and the rest of the time is much easier. Can I can I ask you a question that might have nothing to do with this, but sort of does? Um, in your culture, um, I'm I'm speaking specifically about in the Indian culture. There's a wave of type two diabetes. Is that surprising to you is it is it something you can put your finger on like why does it happen that's a good question um it depends upon our basic um change in eating habits in india now and the ethnic um relationship to beta cell mass People in Asia, they are from their ethnic build, they are thin people. And nowadays, with change of eating habits, they tend to get more fat deposit on their abdomen. And that's why type 2 diabetes incidence is exploding in India, China, because these people have changed their eating habits to more or less to the Western culture. And their body is not adapted to store fat in healthy places. They store fat in their abdomen and they get very easily type 2 diabetes. I see. I, I have to say that um, you know, I live in a, a part of in the United States where there's a, a, a pretty large Indian population around me. And my daughter has a number of friends Um who are Indian, so we get to see Indian families. And I think that the one thing I've noticed uh, is when people immigrate into into the U.S., that um, the availability of food it, and it being so it, everywhere, you know, it's so easy to go to a restaurant or to a store and buy things. They um, they they uh, sometimes people fall into that trap of just. Oh, it's, you know what I mean? They're always at restaurants or they're always doing this or that. And it's, um, I don't know. I see it. I see it a lot, honestly. And, and I, I hear all of them talking about my husband has type two. My wife has type two. Um, but you know, I, I just didn't, I don't completely understand it. And I, I thought maybe you'd be in a unique position to explain it. So I appreciate that very much. Um, it, it's, uh, so the, the, you're saying the thing to do is, just eat cleaner, eat healthier, and exercise. Try to keep that that weight off your abdomen. That is true. Yeah. Eat healthier and sometimes also plan some phases where, where you just don't eat, like time-restricted feeding, because in our culture nowadays it is getting more and more importance because people are snacking almost every time. Mm. They are snacking in the afternoon. They are having their main course meals. That's too much storage happening in our body, which our body doesn't need because we hardly move ourselves. Yeah, now, I I believe that re- that restricted time eating is is helping me a lot as I get older. 
Um, I try, yeah. I try very hard to eat between like 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. It's the best I can. Um, and it, it's a big deal. Like I've noticed a, a, a great benefit for myself uh, so far. Okay. So uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to, if I skipped over anything or, you know, do you feel, do you feel a calling to say anything else? I, I want to make sure that you, that you uh, get everything you want out of this experience. I just want to tell your audience that in the management of diabetes, the most important variable is not diabetes. It is the patient himself. If he thinks it is worth it to manage the disease, whole technology, doctors, they are available to help you. But the first step has to be taken from you. Mm. If you tell you want to manage this disease, this disease can be managed very well. Nowadays, a patient with 6% HbA1c can have 116 years to develop long-term complications. That means long-term complications is out of the picture. Nowadays, it is the question how well we can live despite this type 1 diabetes. And it is possible to live an absolutely normal life, but it comes with the price of getting a different routine established and following this routine your whole life. That is the hard price. Okay. Yeah. I, I appreciate that so much. Um, I, I can't tell you. I, uh, I I have I, I'm so sorry. If you give me a question, hold on one second. This is going to be kind of strange. But Arden's trying to call me. She has a question, so okay. I'm going to hold on to you, and then we'll get back to our conversation for one second. But she's just in an awkward situation. Um, hold on. Hey, Arden, go ahead. So I. Yep. You just test one more time and then yes. Just make sure make sure that number's like not wrong, right? Not right. Do you have other stuff with you? Okay, yeah. So go ahead and just test and then see if have you been sitting on the sensor maybe or something like that? Oh, okay. So go. I'll I'll stay with you while you test. Okay. So I think the the thing you're running into is that you bolused really well for breakfast, but you probably still have some active insulin, and then you're walking around so much. So you might need to. Um, do you have one of those bars with you? The Okay, so you drank the juice when? Yeah, I think so. All right, and then and then just Arden, when you when you go on that ride, 
stick a juice box in your pocket. Make sure you have one with you, okay? All right, text me when you get back. Bye. I'm so sorry about that. Um, no problem. I'm going to tell you what she said in a second, but I also wanted to, I, I don't want to skip over what you said. Um, you know, I, I think you're right. I think that for everybody who has access to that technology, um, they really do hold their own possibilities in their hand, you, you know, and it, it is, it's so important not to ignore it. Um, yeah. And if you can't get that technology for some reason, I still think that there is a way with targeted testing um, and paying attention that you can, like you said, that you, you know, you don't need to be running around with a five A one C, right? Like a, I mean, what you just said, a six A one C is a is a a pretty good shot at a long and healthy life. Yeah. So that's important. So where Arden is is that this, um, you know, she's she's in Disney. And she is using their pass, the the disability pass. So what it allows them to do is to schedule a ride and then show back up at a certain time to get on the ride. Um, So I think what's happening is she's walking and doing a ton of walking in between, right? So she has this meal this morning, which is a perfect, like her bolus was absolutely terrific for her. And then um, they go out and they're walking and then they get the note, hey, come back to the ride. It's time for you to go. So they're hustling back to the ride. And just when that happens, her blood sugar just drops. Like it just, it heads over. So she said to me, dad, I like, can I go on this ride still? Because um, she's, you know, she she's like, it's time to go on. Like we've been waiting an hour and a half to get on this ride. It's now our time to go on. And now my blood sugar is 65 and I have an arrow down on my Dexcom. She's like, so I just drank a juice, but I want to know, like, can I, can I get on the ride? She said, I tested a little while ago. I was 120. And she's like, now all of a sudden this. So she tested again. She got a 60, you know, a matching blood sugar on her, on her test versus her CGM. And um, she's like, what do I do? And I was like, so she said, I'm going to eat some gummies. I really want to get on this ride. She's like, the juice is in. I'm going to eat the gummies. Um, And then I said to her, just stuff another juice in your pocket before you get on. So um, hopefully, I mean, I I have to be honest with you. This is a real-time situation. Hopefully this goes okay. Um, And I just told her, like, you know, get a hold of me when it's over. Now the nurse that's on site actually just texted her too to check on her. This is a, it's been very nice that um that this person exists. Um but it's fascinating for me to see even at a 20% reduction of her insulin once she's walked around for a couple of hours with any kind of active insulin on board. It's just it's hard it's it's our settings are obviously are obviously meant for when she's in school. And when she's kind of sedentary, you, you know what I mean? And not moving around very much. It's, it's incredibly, uh, incredibly interesting. I'm going to have her um, take away another probably 10 or 15% off of her settings for the rest of the day after she gets back from this. Um, anyway, it's it's been a real learning experience for me. I, I think that, um, and her, and I think it's a good example of, uh, you know, you can think you have this thing all together and then you change a couple of the variables and it almost feels like a completely different existence. Sorry, yeah, that, that all think, happened in the middle of your thing. 
No problem. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to, I, I just heard your talk. Um, I didn't uh, heard the Arden side, but I heard your uh, talk to the Arden. Um, she must be proud to have you as father. Oh, I hope so. Um, I think she is. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know why you're saying that because I'm just being myself, but um, but I appreciate it. Your, but your just being yourself is so helpful for her and it relieves her a lot. And she's also actively thinking because it's her disease. She, she is managing it perfectly with your help, but you are a great resource for her from the beginning onwards because she was just two she could not manage the disease at mm. that time it was you yeah and well, it is so nice to see such such a good father who who could learn to manage this difficult disease and is not only managing that he's offering his help to the whole community this is worth appreciating, Scott. Thank you. Well, it's very kind of you. I, I really do appreciate it. I'm now just sitting here wondering if everything I just said to her is going to work out. <laughs> so um, It is going to work out. Yeah. But one thing I just want um, you to tell also your community is in case of movement, just shutting the insulin down is not going to help alone. It is definitely going to reduce the amount of further reduction of blood sugar, but there is a need of additional carbohydrates yeah. because our body normally manages also on the basis of two different hormones, which are counter-regulating effect of each other. Our body, in case of movement, when our body produces insulin on its own, gets the help of glucagon with activity. Mm -hmm. That means we produce more glucose on our own without supplanting it, supplementing it with food. That's why someone with type 1 diabetes who is very good managed has to add carbohydrates at regular intervals, especially if there is a lot of activity going on. And this is something which... People who love to do sport don't like to supplement every 30 minutes to 60 minutes, give mm -hmm. themselves some amount of carbohydrates. But this is needed because this is replacing the work of glucagon, which our body can naturally do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, listen, the, the algorithm does its best, right? And, but taking away insulin, taking away insulin, like you said, everything, listen, I talk about all the time, everything about insulin is timing and amount, right? So yeah. um, as you can see over the last couple of hours, I'm looking at Arden's last three hours, 133, 100, 115, 112, 112. I mean, this goes on two and a half hours. And then all of a sudden she gets a little rise. Um, yeah to 125 and then i'm gonna guess and that was about a half an hour ago i am gonna guess that i know what's happening her algorithm is set up to auto bolus so she hit mm -hmm. 125 and it auto bolus with no concern yeah. for the fact that she's walking the whole time yes that's what happened so i am going to have her turn off the auto bolus feature 
And I think that's going to help her while she's walking around. Okay. And by the way, just for people listening, we're talking about uh, loop. It's just DIY loop that, that she's using in this during this recording. But also what she called me with was exactly the right thing. She knew what to do and she did it. She was just looking for confirmation. She was like, look, can I get on this ride or not? Um, and, and right now we have a diagonal down arrow, which is an indication to me that the, the carbs hit her and she's going to bounce the other way. This, this algorithm is going to start bolusing when she gets the 120 and I'm going to let it bolus a little, and then we're going to shut off the, the, um, auto bolus. And I think that might get her through Disney the rest of the way. Um, yes. okay, cool. Well, I appreciate you helping me with this and I appreciate all of your insight and your kind words and the work you're doing for people. Um, we didn't spend any time with it, but, um, someone with your perspective and your knowledge and the, um, I mean, obviously you're just a kind person who sees the, um, the need for all the things that we talked about today. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that don't get lucky and get good doctors like you. So I appreciate what you're doing as well. And I, I think it's wonderful. Thank you very much, Scott. It, it was wonderful having the opportunity to talk to you. And uh, my best wishes for keeping on doing the good work you are already doing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I absolutely will. I have no plans on stopping. Well, I'd like to thank Kupreet for coming on the show. This was absolutely terrific. I also want to thank US Med and Touched by Type 1. First of all, touchedbytype1.org. It's easy to remember. It's easy to type. Go check them out. And then, of course, US Med is at 888-721-1514. Get your diabetes supplies the way we do from US Med. USmed.com forward slash juice box. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to these and all the sponsors. If you're enjoying the Juicebox podcast, please share it with someone else who you think might also enjoy it. Hey, you can also check out the private Facebook group for the Juicebox podcast. It's called Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. It's a private group that now has nearly 29,000 members in it. You can be one of them. There are people in there with type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, there's caregivers, people living with diabetes, all talking together about type 1 and type 2 diabetes, how they use insulin, what they eat, all kinds of answers to all kinds of questions. Like, have you ever thought to yourself, I don't understand why this blood sugar won't come down? I wish I could ask somebody. At Juicebox Podcast, type 1 diabetes on Facebook, you can have as many friends as you like, and they'd all be happy to lend a hand. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.